I just, um, about a month ago, I got a Windows laptop, and I'm generally a Mac user, and I thought, oh, I can just plug in headphones. That should work, but they're not would, working, so I don't know. so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'll probably have to play around with drivers or something. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it seems but, like, yeah, seems like you got there in the end. Yeah, yeah, well, I just I got out my old Mac, which is still perfectly fine. Oh. <laughs> clunky. Yeah, no, I didn't uh-huh. I didn't figure it out on the Windows one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just, screw this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes I didn't want just, to keep you waiting any you know. longer. <laughs> no, no, it's perfectly all right. It's um it's early in the day here. I got plenty of time. So, you are an American in Australia. Mhm. What what brought you there? Uh, it's a bit of a long story, but, um, so I majored in Japanese when I was, a undergraduate student at University of Massachusetts Amherst back mm-hmm. in the U S. So I grew up in the U S and when I was doing that degree, usually do a year study abroad. So mm-hmm. I did my junior year abroad in Japan at mm-hmm. Kansei Gaku in Daigaku. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, there was a lovely Australian man in my <laughs> Japanese uh-huh. class, and uh, we started dating. And uh, after both of our, um, you know, study abroad periods were up, we went back to our respective countries to finish up our undergraduate degrees. Mm-hmm. And uh, he finished before me and started working in Australia, and we were still doing the long-distance thing. Uh, He came to visit me in the U.S. and all that, so it was going good. And Mm -hmm. when I finished my undergraduate degree, so I did one more year back in the U.S., and when I finished up, I thought, you know, I I could go over to Australia. Like, that would be okay, or he could come over here. But I decided that I wanted to go to Australia and Mm -hmm. do my PhD with there was actually just happened to be that a professor that I was really interested in working with was in Brisbane, Australia. Mm. So I thought, oh, that's perfect. I can go to Australia and do my PhD and, you know, be with my boyfriend, who is now my husband. So it worked Mm -hmm. out and (laughs) stayed here. (laughs) Oh, that's lovely. How long have you been over there now? Eight years. Eight years this year. Which is hard to believe. Like, you know, all of a sudden, like, time is gone. And you're like, wait, what? I feel like I just got here or I just started my PhD and now it's done and I'm just living here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. Yeah. I, <laughs> Sorry, you might have heard my dog. No, that's <laughs> okay. You'll, you'll probably hear my gigantic cat in the background <clears throat> before, uh, before this podcast is over. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you were doing you were doing a, a your master's at at Massachusetts and had your year in Japan. Is that correct? No, it was the undergraduate. Oh, okay. So I just went to college four years. Uh-huh. Uh, did majored in in Japanese language and literature. I mm. think it was. And then, yeah, originally I came to Australia and I knew I wanted to do a PhD eventually. But I started in their master's program mm. and actually my advisor, the woman that I came to study with specifically. She was like, if you want to do a PhD, like, just do it now. Like, oh, why wow. even bother with the master's? I think you can do it. So they have this method where you basically submit, you know, documents stating that you're qualified to, you know, just upgrade it. And you give an mm-hmm. argument for why your research scope is greater than that of a master's, because obviously you have to write way more and it's a bigger project. So sure. she pushed me to do that. I was like, are you sure? <laughs> I don't know if I should be doing this, but okay, if you think so. And it did take me a very long time to finish it. Uh, and I think part of that might have been that 
you know, really threw me in the deep end in terms of like, I wasn't used to sort of this really, you know, they just let you run wild and do research. And here in Australia, it's very different from American masters and PhD programs. Mm -hmm. They don't have any coursework. You can do a research thesis. You're literally just sit down, you and your books and write the thing. Mm. So not having like courses to prep me on that kind of, you know, arguing at that, you know, a, a point at that sort of higher level, like you, you know, I've written mm-hmm. essays, but it's a big step to go from an essay to a, <laughs> a full PhD. I did do what's called an undergraduate thesis back in the US. So you could, mm-hmm. if you really were motivated, you could do in your final year, write a, a mini thesis. So I did like a 20 page thesis where I actually translated a book from Japanese oh, wow. to English, and then I wrote 20 pages of analysis on that text. So oh, I cool. guess that kind of helped me get a leg up, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no master's for me. I haven't done a master's. Mm. I ended up doing, because uh, I did a master's in, in Japanese creative industries. Um, oh. And I, you know, I didn't even think I was going to do a master's. I just, like, saw that <laughs> that was... I saw that that was available, and I thought, like, hmm, you know, maybe I will go back into academia. And I, th- <laughs> I think that was enough for me. I don't think I have a PhD yeah. in me. I don't know what I, I have no idea what I would even do on end. So, um, I'm pretty, pretty happy with my fairly useless degree. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, well, what is Japanese creative industries? I haven't heard of that as an area before. Um, it was mostly looking at pop culture um it was was japanese cultural studies and creative industries so there was like a a module on um cinema a module on theater and like a general module on like you know the zeitgeist of the of the late 21st century um there's a literature one as well but they discontinued that in my second year which was what i was going to take that so that was a bummer oh that's sad (laughs) but um the the theater course was really really good and um tied in a lot with queer studies and there was like a a whole uh a couple of weeks on the takarazuka review that i ended up feeling feeling very inspired by (laughs) yeah um so i've got i've got a friend on who he has just finished his phd this year and like i met him he was you know doing like guest lectures um for my um for, uh, for, for my master's like six years ago so he was at it for a good long time as well oh wow Mm. (laughs) yeah it usually takes longer than than you think it will Mm, mm. he's he's very happy to be on the other side of it but yeah he was just sort of you know working away um making very frequent trips to japan to like you know take part in things at tokyo university um and uh great yeah I, uh, I, I tried to, to get into an exchange program in my second year, but, uh, uh yeah, I wasn't picked. It was very, very competitive. Uh, so uh, yeah. yeah, they can be, yeah, some of those programs, mm. but yeah, there was just like five people in my class. It was ridiculous. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was really good though. I really liked it. Um, that's I great. And your of, to- you mentioned to me before your topic, was it on Otome games or um, am it, I misremembering? It was on visual novels, um, oh, okay. and okay. I was looking at how Otome could be considered a um, an answer to um, kind of kind of like an answer back to like outdated gender ideals in wider mm-hmm. romance games. 
Um, and I kind of feel like, like I got a decent grade on my dissertation. I feel like it was a little bit undercooked, but, um, uh, do they, gra- they grade you? I think if you were ABC or yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> oh, that's, a- <laughs> I don't know if I could handle that. We just got to pass or uh, revise this type uh-huh. thing. <laughs> yeah. I had what, what was called minor corrections. So basically my examiners, uh, send it back and say, well, we need you to fix up some things, but then it's good to go. And then you get a couple months to fix it up and resubmit and then it's a pass <laughs> so well that's for yeah, phd I didn't have though, a right grade. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's for phd though right oh yeah yeah true i don't yeah. know i thought they did the same sort of thing for a master's here but maybe i'm wrong maybe you do get graded for that <laughs> yeah well here but, yeah here in the uk they graded you on every every piece of oh boy. work um <laughs> and it was um it, it was they, they graded quite harshly but i ended up doing okay so. Oh well, that's what matters. As long as you got it, you got it done. I don't think yeah. the grade matters as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was really, really uh, thrilled to have that opportunity. I didn't know they they did any such course like that here, but they do. So mm. that was good. I hope it's still going. I know that um, most of my tutors have moved on. So uh, uh-huh. I'll have to check in and see what the state of it is at, at my <laughs> at my school, but. Um, that's enough waffling about school. <laughs> sorry. Let's... No, no, no. no. <laughs> don't don't be sorry. It's more about your, you know, it's interesting to hear a different perspective for how people do it in different countries because coming from the US to mm-hmm. Australia, the whole process of how they do everything is different. And so my school couldn't even really give me a lot of advice like when I was applying. Oh, wow. It was just very, yeah, very weird. Yeah, they, I guess not many Americans decide to go to Australia to do, you know, a master's or a PhD. I don't think it's that common, especially I, in Japanese studies, you know. They're like, why aren't you going to Japan? <laughs> I guess, <laughs> yeah. yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't even know what it's like in America. I, I dropped out of high school. Um, and, um, I, you see, I had to move here to the UK with my mom, um, uh, in 2001 when I hadn't finished school. So like the idea was that I would finish high school and, um, I couldn't because they wanted to charge me a whole bunch of money unless I'd been here for like three years. Um, and by the time I was here for three years, I was like nearly 20 years old. So, um, (laughs) you don't want to go back to high school. No, no, I didn't. So, Thank you for tuning in to episode 17 of Misspent Youth, a podcast on video games, why we play, and who we are. I'm your slightly under-the-weather host, Robert Fenner, at MissAnthroBob on Twitter, and this week I'm joined by Anne Lee of CheckPixel. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you for joining me. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. Um, <laughs> would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Well, uh, as you said, I am of ChickPixel, a blog about Japanese popular culture and entertainment. It has a skew towards all the stuff I'm into, which I consider a bit niche. So otome games, which are like dating sims for women 
talk more about that later. <laughs> uh, boys love manga, shoujo manga, sort of Japanese media generally skewed towards a female audience, but that's not the it's not you know only about that, but that kind of <laughs> tends to be whatever I'm into. I write about on my blog um, for work slash career. I guess I would say I am a freelance translator slash writer at this point. Um, I translate from Japanese to English, a variety of media, including manga and video games. I also edit video game text, edit Japanese language textbooks, and write about video games on websites such as Waypoint and IGN and places like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, I I was excited to have you on because um, I've, I've been following your... Uh, I've been following your blog for for quite a while now, and um, oh, thank you! <laughs> no, no, you're very welcome. Otome games and and boys love games and and romance games in general have always um, I've always had like a little bit of a fascination with them. Um, I've they haven't played as many as um, as many as like true fans of the genre have, but um, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's it's always you know occupied a, a bit of a, a niche niche space um that i find very very interesting and unlike um unlike um much of anything else that's going on in the games world so yeah um, yeah and it's really fascinating to see it get more and more popular slash recognized at least uh, for english-speaking audiences in the past few years like when i started writing about it you know nobody was talking about it at all so. yeah it's a bit of change to see big websites, you know, review a new Otome game or something like that. Yeah, and a lot of them are getting, like, really positive reception as well. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really just been in the past six years, and it's been really fascinating to watch. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So how, how, did you, um, how did you come to Otome, anyway? Ah, that's a really good question. I think it was probably just a natural progression of my interests. Um, I started studying Japanese because I was into video games and anime. Uh, I started watching Sailor Moon when I was very little, and I thought, I want to see more of this. And mm. I learned that it was from Japan, so I just started studying Japanese so I could watch you know, all the stuff that they <laughs> didn't bring over because at the time there was not a great selection of things that were translated in English. And I think I remember watching the same season of dragon ball z over and over again on cartoon network oh and my they God. would show like the like first arc with vegeta coming to earth and raditz or whatever his name is <laughs> so it was like i would see that over and over again i'd be like man why is why can't i see any more of this there's got to be more and i i don't the internet really wasn't a thing then so i don't know how i figured out that there was more of it but that was my goal initially was I'm going to learn Japanese. I'm going to watch the anime, read the manga and play the video games that take forever to localize. Like at the time it was, you know, could be up to two years before you saw the new final fantasy game come out in English or, Mm. you know, something like Pokemon and stuff like that. Nowadays, sometimes you get, uh, same day release on things like I think Octopath Traveler last month was like yeah, it was a same day Japan it? and yeah that's just amazing to me you know? <laughs> mm. so maybe I'm dating myself a little here but that was my initial uh, drive to learn Japanese and I think Otome games just kind of was something I learned about because I was interested in shoujo manga so manga for girls I was really into video games but I was always looking for things that would kind of cater to me so 
I think what drew me to manga in particular was a, a lot of the comic books you saw at the time were all these, you know, superhero things, and they just wasn't really into these macho stories, even though I just said I watched a lot of Dragon Ball Z. So I don't know. <laughs> that's a bit contradictory. But, but that's, super, uh, that's super weird, though, as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I just, when I studied abroad in Japan, maybe the first time, I picked up some, they have like girly game magazines that really cater towards female fans. And they had some stuff in it that, you know, had these beautiful boys. And I was like, oh, you can pick from all these boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what got me into it. And I mm -hmm. remember my first Otome game was uh, Tokimeki Memorial Girl Side 2 mm. for Nintendo DS ps2 game and they ported it to ds and i remember picking that up when i was in college and it was just so exciting it's the it's fully voiced so you're looking at this tiny screen and that game you would hold the ds like a book so you would hold, flip it mm -hmm. you would and hold it like it was a book and then tap the right side and sometimes the boys would go on the right side and you could like touch them and little hearts would flutter around them and <laughs> it was very exciting <laughs> so that's what that's what got me into the genre Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, I remember some, there was some other sort of, I think it was like a budget, um, DS Otome game where like you were the, you were like a, a fight club manager. Um, oh, yeah. And yep. you would like t tap to like towel off these boys after they were fighting. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I played that one too. Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, remember seeing footage of that one. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I remember I, w I was really I was really really big into um, when I first got into anime and, and manga when I was a kid I, w I was big into um, hunting down um, imports and there was this this rental mm -hmm. place by us that inexplicably rented Japanese games and an adapter and I remember playing wow. um, I rented Angelique and Marmalade Boy. Um, when all I'm, right all right <laughs> yeah and sort of like i couldn't really do anything in either of those because i was about 10 years old and knew no japanese at all at the time and um but i had this sort of fascination with like marmalade boy in particular which is based on a shoujo manga of the same name of like you know i'd i just ended up like dating all of the boys and then i got caught and had a bad ending <laughs> i was like well there's oh, no. <laughs> there's definitely something going on here um and um angelique um i know that angelique was sort of like the big one that started the craze um yeah uh in japan anyway um i had no idea what i was doing in that but um i found its its aesthetics um very um very inspiring as well um which i guess kind of like led me to shoujo manga eventually when those types of stories started you know being localized and published in english oh yeah that's really interesting because i did um an article about the developer for angelique and translated a bunch of stuff since there's not a lot of information on them in english mm. and one of the interviews i was reading was talking about how at the time since otome games weren't really a thing they were trying to figure out how they were going to appeal to girls and get them to play this game and they basically at the same time as they were developing the game, they made a shoujo manga. So they got mm. a shoujo manga illustrator to do the character designs for the game. And then they had that same artist do a manga that was then going to be serialized in a shoujo manga magazine. So that would kind of 
get people to play the game. So it's interesting to hear that you played the game and then got sort of interested in the manga later on. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there just wasn't a whole lot of that available in English. Yeah, at the definitely. Time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I got into romance, romance manga at a really young age. Um, I was really big into uh, Rumiko Takahashi. Um, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Ranma was the first um, was like the first anime series in particular that I um got really really into and i was like right well um takahashi is the mark of quality i'm gonna follow everything she does and then like i ended up like i ended up getting super invested in maison Ikoku when i was a preteen oh okay <laughs> so um yeah i think that <laughs> kind of made me more susceptible to those kind of stories um even though they, they totally <laughs> were not aimed at me at all but there was something charming yeah. about them to me yeah, I, this reminds me of that one of the first times I bought manga. I bought they used to release manga in the U.S. in these single issues, like comic books. Oh yeah, it would be like one chapter. And I, I, I grew up in Vermont, which there's there was no anime or manga anywhere, you know. Mm -hmm. So I would go visit my grandparents down in Florida, and they had like one comic book short, store nearby, and they happened to stock some of these things. So I remember going in there and seeing this really gorgeous cover, and it was a volume of Inuyasha, and I don't know what issue it was. I have no idea. I just grabbed it because it was like, oh, my God, there's manga, you know? Uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> and so I picked it up and went, I went home and was flipping through it, and there was, like, you know, a stark naked girl in it, which is, you know, common for Rumiko Takahashi's things. But at the time, mm -hmm. I might have been 10, I don't know, and yeah. I was like, oh, no, I'm not supposed to be reading this and i had a very like i had to self-censor myself and actually like put it at the bottom of my drawer and was like oh this is i can't be looking at this you know <laughs> but um yeah i eventually you know got got over that but <laughs> at the time it was very scandalous for me to see this oh god i can imagine um i had a i had a <laughs> similar um i had a similar accident with um uh a uh, a, a tankaban of of sanctuary, which was like much oh, okay. much more explicit than than Inuyasha, and I was like, oh oh no, I I I can't read this at all. This is oh no, <laughs> it was really really kind of really kind of extreme for for a kid. Um, but, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me a little bit about your early gaming experiences and how you got into games. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> I always feel a bit embarrassed to talk about my early gaming years because I didn't play games from a very young age. I mean, relatively young, but I know a lot of people that are a similar age of me. I'm 30, by the way. I don't mind sharing that. But um, everybody grew up with SNES and, you know, Mario and all these games. And I didn't really play them until the PS1. Mm -hmm. I did have a Game Boy, the original Game Boy, but I never really got into it. And I guess it's just the games that I had didn't hook me. I remember I had a Pocahontas game that I kept getting mm -hmm. stuck in and I was very frustrated by. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I used to go when I would visit my grandparents again. They, um, they both liked Game Boy for some inexplicable reason. They didn't oh, play really? any other games either, but they both had Game Boys and they wow. would play Tetris 2 and Super Mario Land. And so I got those games and I would go down there and play it a ton when I was around them, but then I would go home and I wouldn't play it anymore. And maybe it was because I didn't have a lot of friends that played 
or I did get stuck in Super Mario Land, and that really frustrated me. So I guess <laughs> the the key theme here is that I get frustrated with games and just put them down. Um, I did I, I play relate. Pokemon yeah. Blue. So Pokemon Blue is probably my first thing that I really got into. But again, I remember I couldn't figure out how to switch out my Squirtle. Mm-hmm. So he got really overpowered, but then, you know, what, so I didn't swap them. So I didn't level anybody else except for that one. <laughs> so I would go to a gym and he would be like, you know, level 30. And then when, if he did die, then I couldn't do anything because everybody else was like the level one <laughs> Pokemon I got. Yeah. At the beginning. So that, yeah, I never got very far in that either, but I was around for the whole Pokemon craze and all my friends at school were into it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. This game's hard. <laughs> Uh, so then PlayStation 1 was the console that my parents finally got me mm-hmm. uh, and Final Fantasy 7 was the first game that I remember getting so into it was like that game for me really hooked me on video games and mm. I know it's a bit cliche these days because <laughs> everybody we like oh my first game was Final Fantasy 7 and it's the best game ever and uh, so it's a bit embarrassing to admit but yeah that, that was it for me <laughs> I don't think it's too embarrassing to admit I think it was a, it was a very <laughs> that was a very big one in a lot of people's lives um my own included um oh, I, yeah I I really liked those uh I really liked the Super Nintendo Final Fantasy games and then seeing um, you know, the jump from, from six to seven being this, you know, this massive kind of, oh yeah, uh, for sure. s- not quite cinematic, but sort of full of, full of spectacle, um, was like, oh my gosh, wow. We really are living in the future, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't really have, I mean, I did have the leap from Game Boy to PS1, but yeah, that's uh, definitely pretty impressive too. playing the Final Fantasy games. So mm-hmm. actually, so the PlayStation One even I actually got it twice because the first time it didn't quite work out. <laughs> My um, grandmother got me the PlayStation One for Christmas one year, and apparently when she was at the game store, she was like, "Oh, I want to get." something cute for my granddaughter and mm-hmm. the person recommended her odd world but <gasps> the problem was that i had a deep-seated fear of aliens and oh, everything really? i didn't even watch et when i was a kid i like was crying when uh-huh. my parents asked me to watch et with them so uh, christmas morning open it up oh my gosh it's a playstation open the game i see this alien on the cover <laughs> and i just burst into tears <laughs> So they actually returned it, uh, and I didn't get the PlayStation 1 for another year after that or something, after I'd matured a little bit. I don't know. So it's kind of funny to me that then after that, the first game I remember getting into was Final Fantasy VII, that opening terrifying as a kid to play, where you're in Shinra and Genova breaks out of the the glass and it's like there's blood everywhere i was just it's pretty so extreme, scared yeah. but fascinated by it it was just really impactful experience so i remember that very vividly <laughs> it's kind of a slow burn um yes. up to you know the the eldritch eldritch horror elements coming out yeah um, yeah yeah it takes a while to get there doesn't it well, yeah. running up all those stairs i remember that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's from like yeah from like a, a, an urban uh you know like a urban infiltration into like you know it suddenly just swaps genres <laughs> yeah yeah 
But um, I think Oddworld kind of freaked me out as a kid anyway. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's not quite a cute game for anybody. <laughs> I mean... Well, uh, his mouth is sewn shut, isn't it? Yeah, like, and yeah, the, it is. Like, premise, I remember my husband played it, um, like, the HD version on PS3 or PS4 relatively recently. Mm-hmm. And the aren't they turning them into meat pies or something in the beginning? And he's yeah. escaping because they're, like, slaves helping these little, yeah, little cute... Well, they're not that cute, but the cute little monsters, they're turning them into pies, and then he's running away from it all and helping his friends escape the tyranny type thing. I don't yeah. you know, know that that's a super cute game. That, like the first game I would recommend as, oh, my granddaughter wants something. Oh, yeah, here you go, Oddworld. That's the perfect fit. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's got this really abject aesthetic. And um, when I was that age... Um, it's not so much that I was into like power fantasies or anything, but like a game where um, that is so um, the odds are really stacked against you and you're in this place mm-hmm. of like absolute oppression to the point that your character's mouth is sewn shut. It was really yeah. like, ooh, there's a lot. This is a lot. <laughs> this is a yeah. lot, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. um, so Final Fantasy VII had a big effect on you and that sort of, did that sort of influence your your path through gaming from there yeah or at the very least it made me get really into games since mm-hmm. before that as i mentioned i had the game boy i had a few odd games for the game boy i even had um link's awakening dx mm-hmm. i think it, it, the game boy one with a gold cartridge and ah. i never could get into that either i think because my experiences with games were so sort of segmented and i didn't have anyone in my life that was also into them so i'm you know you go up to zelda and you have no context you have no gaming knowledge and then you're put in there and i remember like i just having no idea what to do and it was so frustrating whereas for some reason Final Fantasy 7 maybe it was my age or just the way that it was laid out clicked with me really well and i think that major thing was the story like i i loved reading i read so many fantasy novels as a kid Mm. and I always wanted to be a writer and, you know, I was really into literature. So when this game had this really compelling story for me at the time with these interesting characters and all this dialogue and I'm reading through their narrative, that really got me hooked on it in a way that some of these more open things or Tetris or, you know, Mario doesn't have much of a story, you know, Mm -hmm. go rescue the princess type thing. So I think that's what really hooked me. And then I started really seeking out narrative-driven games and Mm -hmm. RPGs and things that had, yeah. I mean, I started playing all kinds of stuff, but I think that really showed me at the time that games weren't just these frustrating things where you kept dying over and over again and had no (laughs) idea what was going on. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I mean, you you still would die over and over again, at least in my experience, because I'm I'm just terrible games. Especially in Final Fantasy I remember... You know, again, I couldn't figure out how to switch on my first Pokemon, and there were definitely mm-hmm. moments like that with Final Fantasy VII where I didn't really understand the materia system and equipping mm-hmm. things, and so I'm sure I didn't play it in a very effective manner, and I remember getting stuck at bosses, and I had the guide, the, um, you know, the official Primo, whatever, I forget the name of the brand, but, you know, mm-hmm. they had these books, and so I'd had that, and I would play through it with that, which definitely helped me. But um, it was years later that I finally beat it. <laughs> like, I think I was in high school mm-hmm. when I made a final. It took me that long to get through it. But I did eventually. <laughs> hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, I I think like Final Fantasy VII. I think it was one of the one of one of the first games that came out in English that was that text and narrative heavy. I mean, there mm. there were certainly games before it, but with the like the amount of you know sort of guiding you guiding you through this this very text heavy narrative, um, I think there wasn't really anything else quite quite on that scale. So I remember that being being very inspiring to me as well. Um, I was already pretty big into into JRPGs, um, but uh, yeah, I remember that just just kind of being like, okay, wow, this is this is what they are going to be in this generation, you know? Yeah, and, definitely and... It showed a big shift towards the different you know style. As you mentioned, like up until that point, seeing you know Final Fantasy VI and then this big leap to seven, which now you look back on the clunky characters and they were a bit goofy but at the time it was like oh my god you know like this is a video game yeah <laughs> yeah so I'm, that really um uh made me eager to seek out like as many as many playstation one jrpgs as i could and that was like mm. that was really for better or for worse <laughs> probably yeah. probably for worse in a lot of uh in a lot of ways but um i you know i had a real real fondness for that era um mm. and you know especially what square was doing in the late 90s was very almost kind of experimental and strange yeah definitely mm. like um like some of their japan only stuff was really really bizarre like racing lagoon have you seen that oh no <laughs> i haven't it's like it's like they tried to do what was basically like an initial d rpg where like you drove around oh. town and souped up your car and then got into random you know random battles <laughs> that were street races it was very that very peculiar awesome. yeah it was, really, it was really cute and really neat um wow. so um so i was really big into what they were doing in the 90s i was really big into um i was like I, I was big into SMT and Atlas, but in this sort of like, I know about this thing that nobody else knows about at the time. <laughs> and it was this sort of like, um, I genuinely liked it, but there was also this sort of, it had like this little secret cachet with me that like. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, Everybody knows Final Fantasy. Yeah. Like, I know the, the cool thing that nobody's <laughs> heard of, uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And everybody hated Persona back in the back in the 90s because that first game was pretty rough but <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think i played the psp port or maybe mm. eternal punishment was that two maybe that was mm -hmm. two that was two yeah yeah that's <laughs> that's like all i played so it's kind of random for me to have played that one but yeah that's that's my it definitely one, was but... a, a bit less accessible than something like a final fantasy i think for a wide audience mm-hmm mm. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get into importing games until much later, I mm -hmm. think, because you had the mod, like the PlayStation to play Japanese games, if yeah. I remember correctly. You had to, like, yeah, get in there. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to do this. So get in there with the uh, soldering iron. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's something that I, I did not have the confidence to do, but... Um, in here in the UK, um, I was over here for about two years in the in the mid '90s, and um, the the games magazines here, you know, like in in the back of games magazines in the states, you'd be like, here, call this number and order some Japanese games. Um, mm. But the games magazines here were like, call this number and a man will come to your house and put in a mod chip. 
Oh, that's awesome. And so, like, <laughs> I my, that. so my parents, uh, my, my wonderful mother um, ended up uh, facilitating that for me. Um, so oh, that's great. Um, in the 90s in England, um, there was a there was a dearth of RPGs um, like Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. was the first Final Fantasy that was released here. Um, and loads of loads of companies just did not have European distributors. So like um I would, you know, if I was back in the States, I would pick something up, but I wouldn't be able to play it. So, you know, so I oh, yeah. had had my machine chip so I could play all these, you know, these, these games that I was missing out on, like the wonderful Beyond the Beyond, <laughs> um, kind of, uh, <laughs> using, using sarcasm there. Um, yeah, yeah, I got that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Australia was the, was the same how european region they didn't get a lot of the rpgs i was very surprised mm-hmm. by that when i came over and and mm. saw that they don't have as many ps1 releases as we did so i guess we're pretty lucky in that respect even though mm-hmm. i didn't import anything mm. um has that changed now has distribution gotten uh you know quote unquote better in australia i know there's some i know there's some interesting laws there about what you can and can't release yeah, it's fascinating to me. I mean, so when I grew up in the US, Australia was not a country that ever came to mind. Like uh-huh. even in the UK, like I feel like Americans have a maybe closer relationship with. And so there's, you know, British sitcoms or comedies and things on TV, or there's just like more cultural knowledge of, oh, yeah. you know, British things. But Australia was like, good day, mate. And, you know, <laughs> just, you know, not. Crocodile Dundee was like it. Mm. So I didn't really have any frame of reference when I came over here. I didn't know. I mean, I kind of knew what to expect. Uh, I did some research, but it didn't have this. I didn't already have it built up in my head like this is what it's going to be like. So I came over here and there were lots of things like that, like the game culture and seeing that. Well, nowadays we do get pretty much everything. There are a lot there. Well, not a ton, but there are some certain releases that either got heavily censored or were never released at all because of Australian laws, which I I think it's mostly like obscenity Mm -hmm. laws. Um, One that comes to mind that I find really fascinating was Rule of Rose for PS2 never came out here. Yeah, that almost came out here. And that's something I've always wanted to play, actually. That that almost came out here and got uh, canceled at the last minute. Um, oh, okay. I had an opportunity to buy an American copy, and I ended up oh, not doing great. so. And now it's it's. Oh, you know, so you didn't? You passed on it. I was like, mm, I'm gonna wait, and then <laughs> the shop that sold imports here shut down. Um, and oh, now no. that game is worth like a couple hundred dollars yeah and the yeah. japanese version is even very expensive too mm. so it's like you can't sometimes that will you know the english version will be expensive but then i'll go import the japanese version and it's like nothing mm. you know but not for this one so but i found that very interesting and more recently i think this was also an issue that came up in europe as well maybe germany where the 3ds dead or alive game Hmm. I think it said that some of the characters were 16 and there was a photo mode where you could look up their skirt. And so ah. the game got pulled off shelves here. Uh-huh. I don't know if it got pulled everywhere, but they took it off shelves in Australia. They also pulled, I think it was Gal Gun. Uh-huh. So 
these, you know, Japanese games that maybe are have some underage looking characters, may or may not be underage type thing. That Australia has a lot of issues with um, depictions of underage characters, which actually became an issue with my own thesis because I was researching boys love manga and a lot of those characters either are or appear underage. So yeah yeah it's an interesting thing but yeah so they in violence or drugs and games i think gta has always had issues here um one of the south park games they even had a joke in the south park game that had to be censored for an australian release which is i think true it actually did like they say you can't do that type thing that's that's so, the, the anal probe joke isn't it I yeah because they yeah. they censored that here in the uk as well and i remember there being <laughs> some some news articles about it yeah <laughs> So it's always, I mean, uh, it's always interesting to me when we they start talking about censorship, where like, you know, the difference between a localization decision and like government stepping in. Like, this is the government is stepping in and saying, no, you can't release that game here. That's very different from Nintendo deciding they want to put a bikini on a character that you know uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> before they release it in English. But we won't go there. <laughs> I remember, like the latest, the the latest sort of thing that I've seen like that is, is um, I think it's a compile heart game. It, it's usually a compile heart game. Um, <laughs> Omega Labyrinth has just been canceled for um, yeah. all of its every English release. Um, yeah, that was quite shocking that they said, "Oh, it's just not happening." Yeah, which I was surprised by. It was very far along, wasn't it? And I yeah, don't, I don't they think were that localizing was... it. They had a team on it, and they just suddenly there was a tweet that yeah said you know we're not we're not releasing it anymore, and don't ask us about it type thing, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think it was a government thing in that case, but I think it might have been like an ESRB or Peggy. Um, uh, I'm not sure ratings board issue. I think they did put it forward for yeah. um, certification, and it got uh, it got an adults only rating because of an an underage looking character whose clothes fly off (laughs) right yeah that's that's always the problem isn't it (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, and an adult ale rating even though it's technically allowed like that's kind of i guess commercial suicide right anyway then nobody will stop it right yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i was um i was over in new zealand um three years ago for for my partner's sister's wedding um and um i noticed that um we went through a mall and like the eb games there the signs were like hey australians come get your adults your adult rated games here or like your your mature (laughs) because they only release them there yeah Yeah. that's so funny i didn't know that (laughs) it was pretty comical so i guess there's a very a very knowing uh you know take a three-hour flight and buy your games i suppose yeah if you can uh, afford to do that yeah. yeah might as well buy it online then but i guess the the issue with that is they're worried that they would um check they your mail customs, which they so. can do but yeah. they probably could check your bag if you go through an airport too so i i sometimes would be worried about you know i brought some you know uh, visual novels that are maybe risque back from Japan. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, are they going to look at my bag? But they're not going to. They're not going to look at your bag, <laughs> really. But I think, like, even if they did, kind of even if they did look in your bag, they're not really going to know what it is, are they? They're not yeah. going to be au fait yeah. with. Um, I, I suppose it's probably not explicit on the box either. Yeah. No, I've got I've got some taste. You know? uh, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Yeah, but it is interesting. I mean, with manga and things, you have run into issues with that where people have gotten in trouble for mm. uh, certain content in manga. So, especially in Australia, this kind mm-hmm. of among Australian researchers, there's an ongoing conversation about the laws here and what we can and can't do as researchers and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, bet that's, I bet that's very difficult. So that that's uh, that had an effect on your on your academic work. You said a bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, in the U.S., it never ca- occurred to me. But the U.S. has I haven't re- researched the American laws quite as much, but in Australia, they <laughs> so the child pornography laws here says that any real or imagined depictions. Mm-hmm. So thus, anything that's drawn or written, anything that may depict a minor, whether or not it is explicitly stated in the text that it is a minor, could thus be interpreted as a minor, then it could be, you know, a problem. Mm -hmm. So thus, with um, Boys Love and the sort of proto-Boys Love manga, Shonen Ai, there were a lot of young characters, and it was sort of the... Uh, at the time, girls' way of working through issues related to sexuality that they couldn't depict in heterosexual relationships in Japanese manga because it was taboo. But mm-hmm. for boys, it was kind of more accepted um, because they didn't want to show. Yeah, they didn't want to show like female genitalia and things. And so, it's one one of the interpretations is that it, it, Shonen I was a way to work around that in a way. Um, so thus they're working through a lot of, you know, kind of dark stuff. There's rape in it and things like that. And that mm-hmm. content could technically be illegal here. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had to decide, you know, what I'm going to talk about in my thesis. And yeah, hmm. it was definitely an issue I had to think about, you know, <laughs> okay. uh, but yeah, <laughs> I think technically as a researcher, you get certain exemptions, but you don't really want to, so. you know, get um people too interested in you in that way like you don't want to become like oh that that researcher is advocating for child porn you know it's not (laughs) a great look like you know i know i'm not everybody that knows me knows that i'm not but sometimes like uh, more mainstream culture can twist things like that and say well just because you're researching that that means you're condoning it you know sort Mm. of thing yeah Um, absolutely that's yeah that's an issue that hadn't really occurred to me, but it makes sense. We, I mean, we've got similar laws here. Um, I know Canada has similar laws as well. Mm-hmm. I remember there was there was a case maybe eight years ago of somebody somebody crossing into Canada from the states yeah. with, with some hentai comics who yeah. ended, up, ended up getting in a lot of trouble. Um, in in my own thesis, I covered some stuff that I guess like could be considered dicey like the um the the original explicit version of of key visual arts canon which had mm-hmm. um which had sex scenes with like with some some very young characters um but like it it didn't really occur to me when i was doing that 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 could be um something that um would be you know would maybe draw the ire of the authorities and i mean in the end it didn't in my case um right but, yeah yeah no that's, that's in most cases they've got better things to be doing right i <laughs> yeah, mean they're not sure. really... <laughs> but like in the case of 
I don't, I can't remember what the issue was, but that American going into Canada, I read up a lot on that case and we actually yeah. had a Canadian researcher who was interested in Sean and I and boys love. And she came here to Australia to talk about that case and the implications for her research and how she basically was scared out of doing certain research because of that. Mm. But I don't like what tipped them off to him in that case. I, were they going through his stuff and I think like, so, oh, yeah. this doesn't look cool or that's, yeah, scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was but, just like a, a, a bag check while driving mm-hmm. across the border okay. and, uh, um, they, they thought it looked, looked hanky. Um, uh, which, I see. that's a real, that's a real bummer. Yeah. And I was just thinking recently about, um, I think there was a, I believe the game's name is Mei Tatsu. I forget now. It's a visual novel of girls that look really young, but they're actually personified trains. And it's okay. got an 18 yeah. plus version, but they look very, very young. Um, and just thinking about that game is readily available for purchase online and you can purchase it from any country like using, you know, your credit card or whatever. And so an individual that's not really concerned with these things because they're not researching something and somebody told them, you know, hey, you better be careful what you put in your thesis. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not really a thing you would think about being a problem because it's, you know, I think especially among visual novel fans, there's, of course, the dialogue about what's okay and what's not okay to be interested in. But in mm-hmm. terms of these are legitimate companies making these things, like Manga Gamer is a big company, and they yeah. have some content that I think might be not okay in Australia. But uh-huh. how do you regulate that kind of stuff on the Internet? You know, anybody can go buy a game and download it onto their computer. So that's something I've actually been thinking about a lot lately, like how – I wonder if that's something Manga Gamer on their end thinks about or whether they get the license and technically they're only selling within North America. So mm-hmm. legally, there's no repercussions for them. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I can yeah. imagine it might be pretty easy to like put sanctions on them. So like, um, you know, like, oh, uh, if, if you don't have an American credit card, you can't purchase. Or if you right. have a credit sure. card from this country, you, you're not able to. But I guess I guess that hasn't um been an issue yet and i'm yeah. sure i'm sure nobody with the power to make that an issue is listening to this so um, yeah, I mean... well, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know and that uh think talking about you know blocking credit cards like japanese companies do that a ton like i'll be like oh i yeah. want to order you know i think the japanese e-shop on nintendo switch won't take an australian credit card so i got to go online and buy you know e-shop mm-hmm. credit which is a big pain but so mm. they, that certainly can block you if they want to. <laughs> yeah. Same with the um, yeah. the American eShop won't take my my British credit card. Oh, really? So okay. I have to. I have an American card, so <laughs> uh-huh. I have to pay yeah. that little surcharge to get my to get my card from a reseller. Oh um, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. These you know, so, some things are so easy, and then with you know everything online and digital, and then other weird regional blocks like mm. that. But like I remember. Um, I can't remember who the company was, but there was some visual novel developer who um they hit a um they hit a fan translator with um with a with a takedown notice um mm-hmm. to, to you know to to stop translating their work um and they were like um they said something like uh these games are not meant to be played by anybody outside of Japan so you know we don't want you we don't just want you not translating them we we also don't want you buying them at all 
overseas. Yeah. So was this recently? Um, maybe like six years ago or so. Okay. I can't hmm. remember who the who the developer was. Um, but I remember. Um, I think I think before Innocent Gray partnered with Manga Gamer, they had a bit of a similar uh stance as well that they have you know that they finally softened on but it seems like it's not that uncommon with some um japanese developers like of of visual novels first and foremost that yeah um, yeah yeah they don't want their work to get out for some reason or another i think a lot of that does stem from fear of legal repercussions because there Mm -hmm. was a big um can't remember the name of the game. There was a big hullabaloo in Western media over a Japanese game where it was like is you this, could have sex with your sister or something. Is this Rape Lay by Illusion? Yeah, Soft? yeah, yeah. I Rape remember. Lay, yes. Yeah. I remember that was a huge thing. And I think a lot of com- Japanese companies are actually just like hypersensitive towards like getting picked up by Western media and then, you know, getting um, harassed or this mm. bad image where, you know, they're they're keeping track of Japanese laws and what's kosher for Japan, and they don't have time to worry about the rest of the world. And so they might be. I don't know if it's related, but I think that it could maybe very well be legal issues is something you know in terms of like underage characters and things like that. Japanese laws are quite different in that mm. respect. Um, but yeah, rape boy, that was a huge. When was that? Ooh. Ages ago, <laughs> like more than ten years ago. Um, yeah. I think the deal with that, if I remember correctly, um, I might put something in the show notes, um, <laughs> that that was available on like Western Amazon and that set off a oh. big media problem, um, where like, oh. you know, people were reporting on that and like it's sister game, the, yeah. <laughs> especially right. absurdly named battle raper that was like, you know, Tekken, but with clothes flying off, um, <laughs> So there was a whole bunch of, of news reports about that and how, you know, how sick and depraved those were. And if I remember correctly, it went to the Tokyo Diet and oh, oh, new yeah. legislation was passed about, like, what types of words could be used in game titles. So I think after oh. after Ray Play's um, big uh, international incident, you weren't allowed to use the word rape in a game title anymore as as mandated by by the government. Wow! I think that's what happened. So there was like a Hmm. new list of banned words, um, and that was—I think that was the big one. But there was um, there was a bunch of other things. So they've had to like sort of sort of cool it. Um, But I I, I would—it would make sense if um, you know Arrowgay and you know visual novel developers were uh, a little bit more concerned after that because I think nobody wants to be the next Illusion Soft. You know, nobody wants that kind of press. Sure. Yeah. And I think that really, I mean, people already had this idea that, you know, with anime, they were like, oh, it's all hentai and it's all weird and tentacles. And so you have the same thing with visual novels. And I'm sure that didn't help the impression of the layman about what, you know, Japanese uh, visual novels were like. So (laughs) there's this assumption that they're all just sex games and they're all crazy and depraved and that sort of thing. So yeah, it ties into that nasty stereotype that, yeah, yeah, that, um, anime really only overcame in like maybe the past 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Being, being an anime fan, um, in America in the late nineties and like all my peers thinking I was some kind of pervert, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Mm. 
Um, so Otome, we talked a little bit about Otome, um, Mm -hmm. and I want to talk a little bit more about it. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so you were, you were enticed by, you know, this sort of relation to, um, you know, a playable take on shoujo manga and having, Mm -hmm. having a choice of boys. Um, and I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, what you find exciting about Otome and, you know, maybe what what you find frustrating about it (laughs) (laughs) sure sure yeah so i guess just a a brief explanation for people that are listening that don't know too much about the genre it is generally these days a type of visual novel so just mostly reading and maybe occasional like choose your own adventure style selection of what option you want to do do you want to kiss him or do you want to push him away that kind of thing (laughs) but um the original ones like Angelique were more of like stat building, which is where the dating sim comes from. So mm. I think generally people translate Otome games as like, you know, dating sims for women. But these days they're more visual novel mm-hmm. dating sim element anymore. But um, and the first one I played, the Tokimeki Memorial Girl Side 2, was did lean more towards that simulation. So you mm. could re- it really felt like immersive like i was playing this japanese schoolgirl, and i loved that i could feel like i was experiencing japanese life in the game because every morning you'd wake up and you can pick what you know extracurricular activity you want to do do you want to call up the guy on your cell phone you know you want to you get a text message you talk to your friend after school and at the time when i was studying japanese too the language level was like perfect for me it was like everyday conversations so i really felt like it I could understand it, and I was learning oh, awesome. some things that were helpful. You know, like you play you play Final Fantasy game in Japanese, and there's you know <laughs> you're learning all the kanji for these random spells and random summon names that are really not going to be useful in everyday life. So, <laughs> yeah, this kind of game was more. It felt like it was helping my studies, so I got really into it at the time because I was studying Japanese in college, and I think so that immersion aspect and really being able to choose what I wanted to do for this character. And along those lines, when there were text-based decisions of like, I think um, Tokimeki Memorial gave you three choices usually. And I would always pick the one that I felt me as a human being would choose. So I felt like I was trying to embody myself in the game. Hmm. But if you play a lot of visual novels and dating sim games, like Otome games or, um, you know, one aimed at men like the shoujo games and things like that, you learn very quickly that if you pick what you think, you probably aren't going to get the character you want <laughs> because the way they're structured is you pick the things that that character will like, you know. You focus so on that and nothing guy. else. Yeah, you got to focus on that. That's, you know, you can't, you also can't date multiple guys, so you can't like just say everything to make everybody happy and happy because in Otokimeki Memorial, they will actually get mad and send you bombs mm. and not literal bombs. But like, so in the menu, you have these hearts and it will show you, you know, how big each guy's heart is for you. And the bigger the heart, the more he likes you. Uh-huh. And if, you've got two guys that both like you a lot, then they might get into a rival situation and then there will be a bomb next to one of them and the bomb will get bigger and bigger if you don't talk to them. Oh, goodness. If you go talk to them, the big bomb will get smaller. But if the bomb ever explodes, then I forget. I don't think it's a game over, but they'll get, like, really mad at you and it's really bad in the game. (laughs) (laughs) You, like, have to learn how to juggle it and really 
well, it's not so much juggling. You can't really have two side, you know, two guys, one on the side or whatever. You have to kind of focus on the one you want. So I remember going through the whole game, doing my thing. It looked like one of the guys had this big heart. It was totally full. I was like, oh, he's into me. He told me he likes me. We hang out every day after school. I got to the end of the game and I got the friendship route ending <laughs> okay. i was so yeah. disappointed i was like what the hell like <laughs> i thought he liked me you know? <laughs> and then i went online and read guides and it was basically like yeah like you have to not only do you have to max out his heart but you have to like trigger a special scene where he'll confess his feelings for you and you have to like tell him yes i like you too in order for you to kind of become an official item and then you get the Ooh. happy ending so that was a bit of a bummer at the time realizing that i put all this effort in and i can't just be myself and <laughs> get a guy in this game but uh so i think I, at first that was kind of disappointing for me and that i didn't like that sometimes it, you know i would basically look at the characters in the magazine and pick the guy that i thought was cutest and then i would mm -hmm. go for him in the game but when you learn their personalities and what they like, and I would have to pick certain things that I knew would make him happy, but it's not the kind of thing I would want to say in real life. It would really frustrate me. Actually. Yeah. Feels, <laughs> so feels ever so slightly skeezy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and like saying something like, a lot of these Otome games will have the character be, I mean, this is a stereotype, but be a bit meeker, especially the older ones. So, mm -hmm. When the guys are being jerks, and then it was kind of like, you're like, oh, no, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not okay. I'm like, but you get away with that, you know? So I get frustrated with that, and then I would end up not liking the character as much, which I think is fine. Like, you end up liking a character based on their personality, you know, and how it unfolds throughout mm -hmm. the game. Um, but now I'm talking about what I don't like about it. <laughs> well, that's okay. I'm interested to hear that, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I think, yeah, so the way that they really, for me, are the games that best depict romances. And, like, you know, I was reading a lot of shoujo manga, and I wanted to see the shoujo manga protagonist end up with the guy that I liked. But yeah. a lot of the times in the manga, she goes for the main dude, and my, you know, the best friend the guy that I thought was the best, she kind of snubs at the end, right? So, mm. actually, there's... Also, in an interview I read with the folks that made Angelique, is that, that this was their kind of idea, was that in these games, you can be the shoujo manga protagonist, and each option is a legitimate option, and you can mm. replay the game as many times as you want, and they're all equally valid. Your your so, path is your truth, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, and they encourage you to play through all of them. While a lot of the visual novel-style games will have these very intricate stories that you will only see all sides of if you play every character. So you're really encouraged to see all the different male characters, not just pick one guy, play his path, and then stop there and be like, okay, I'm done the game. I played the one guy I like, and I'm going to move on. So I really am fascinated by the you know, different ways you can see this story from a different perspective and how they treat these different characters throughout their plot line is yeah, really cool to me. Mm. Yeah, it's a... Uh, an astounding amount of work that goes into um building all of these um separate you know separate routes and plot lines as like a main story that I yeah definitely very very interesting um 
I kind of have similar issues to you um, with Otome games in particular. Like the meek protagonist um, comes up mm-hmm. a little bit more often than I'd like. Um, mm-hmm. Like um, Oz Mafia in particular. I played mm-hmm. I played Oz Mafia for review a couple of years ago when it was new, um, and um, almost everybody in that game is just terrible to the main character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, oh my goodness, what? Just oh, just please give me an option where I can, you know, stand up for myself and still have. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you know, give me that option at all, and I'll take whatever happens after that. But that never really came. Um, and that's one of the one of the many many things that I like so much about Hatofu Boyfriend, um, you mm. know, as being a um, you know a a deconstruction as well as a celebration. Um, your protagonist in that game is just like she takes no crap, and it's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can still get your happy ending while um, telling somebody that they're being a jerk and chasing them around with a broom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm. yeah that was great yeah i also really like um oh gosh now sweet fuse by your side at your side it was for psp Mm. and that one's kind of infamous for having hideki kamiya kind of appears as a side character in it okay so yeah he's like the uncle i think like a caricature of him but i forget how he i think is it keiji inafune actually Oh, Keiji Inafune. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, Inafune, I guess, is involved with that company. And it's concept, so, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I haven't played that yeah. one, but I was, I was interested. Yeah, oh, I love that one because the protagonist in that will be like, you know, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like you can actually choose an option where she'll basically, like, tell off the guy. And it's great. I love it. Like, they're, very early on in the game, there's this sort of scene where the all the male guys are discussing what they should do and sort of leaving her out and they're trying to decide what to do with her. And she's like, Hey, I get to decide what I do myself and really tells them off. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, that sounds <laughs> awesome. That also more of a, a com- comedic game. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say it's a deconstruction, but it's definitely playing with the themes a bit. So it's not like mm. a straight, you know, super romance heavy Mm-hmm. Ultimate game, but I still think that one's quite quite fun, um, and it is a bit of a stereotype for sure that um, ultimate game protagonists can be pretty bland. And I think mm. it's worth saying that there are a lot where they're not bland, but because there haven't been so many translated into English in particular, mm-hmm. we're only seeing you know certain selections, and a lot of those have been that way. And it probably has to do too with what maybe as popular Japanese women too. Like mm-hmm. I know some of the character types that I think are just despicable. I can't understand how anyone will like them, but there's a very infamous uh character in Amnesia Memories, not Amnesia the horror. Yeah. The Otome game Amnesia has a guy that actually locks the protagonist in a cage in his route. And the he's the most love, popular right? character in that series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm doing this for your own good. I want to protect you. And I'm like, that is creepy and awful. And I've got, I hate I've this. I've got some <laughs> friends who are really into his route. It's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, you know, like, I'm totally one for problematic fantasies. So uh-huh. I can't really get on anyone's case if that's their thing. But it is interesting to me that maybe that some of these things that don't fly as well internationally are quite popular in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um and I haven't, you know, really researched that in depth, but that's definitely, I'd like to do more academic research on Otome games because I'm really fascinated by 
them as well. But that, so that I'm just, you know, <laughs> a caveat there that I think um, also the protagonists that are blander, it's easier for you to project on them. Like in mm. Tokimeki Momoto, the, the main character is there's nothing. It's a blank slate and you shape them. And luckily that game is pretty good with giving you a variety of options, but none of the options are like, smack this guy because he's being a dick or something you know uh-huh. that would be a bit much but you know none of them are really like tell him off type thing but mm. um some of the games luckily do have more of that <laughs> <laughs> you know, thankfully that sounds fun i'd love to see i'd love to see more of those um in in english in particular um yeah so ho- hopefully we'll see some more some more things like that and i think um i think access have put out like four otome games this year alone there yeah, they're really Horizon. good at it. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I can I can scarcely keep up. <laughs> um, yeah, I really want yeah to. me neither. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I um am quite interested in the they've got two games in the Psychedelica series. So there's Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly and, and then, then Ashen Ash Hawk. Yeah. Yeah. And those two, I think it's not a direct sequel, Ash and Hawk, but it's related to the first one. And they seem sort of darker and have an interesting mystery theme to them. So I like to check those out, but I haven't played them yet. It's too busy. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I've been playing Japanese only games. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what have you been playing at the moment? Uh, I'm working on this one for review, uh, called Tengai Nimao Ikinahana, which don't, please don't ask me to translate that title. It's in kind of older Japanese, so I'm uh-huh. not actually sure what it means, but, okay. <laughs> um, it, it takes place during the Taisho period. So there's a lot of sort of archaic, uh, phrases that I'm not familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. and it's about a girl who, she, goes to help this family that has five sons and she actually originally gets a request for marriage from one of the sons but it falls through and mm-hmm. she goes to live with them and help them with their inn it's a very convoluted story but okay i was really interested in this because taisho area is very cool to me that's like when japan was sort of opening up to the west and you're getting a lot of um western influence so there's a big so conflict between the old and the new and the west and kind of traditional japan this was just and, like um, just after matthew perry and the black ships right yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it would have been early 20th century huh yeah mm-hmm. oh yes yes you're right so i think like 1920s is kind of a good mm park i could be wrong mm-hmm. i'm really bad with my japanese history actually i study literature so <laughs> literature <laughs> and pop culture so i'm not good with my history but it's one of the things um, i like so much about the the rido devil summoner games which were set in like a oh yeah yeah they had that same aesthetic yeah it was like it was like it technically would have been set in the showa period but in this alternate few this alternate history it was like as if the taisho period hadn't ended yet and you were in this like oh, kind of cool. like um tokyo is just sort of becoming modernized it was really really neat okay but uh i'm, okay. I'm sorry do, do continue oh uh, well so the the conflict between old and new is really fascinating to me and mm. that's sort of a central thing in the story is she wants to preserve her family's um, kind of old Japanese style inn, and this other, the family with the five sons also has an inn, 
and there's this very famous and it's going to be inherited by the eldest son and he wants to turn it into a hotel so a western style hotel he says the hotel will make more money because you can have more people stay here but the father of the family doesn't want that to happen to their traditional inn so very convoluted mm-hmm. The girl ends up assisting with this, uh, with the father's goal to keep the inn. And so she ends up living with them and kind of running the inn. So it's this whole story with the five brothers. And of course, the five brothers are all the different routes you can <laughs> get into. But I was, so far, I've been quite disappointed because the main character is really a doormat. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so going back to that is she seemed really cool at the beginning and then she goes to live with them and then they're like hey make me breakfast and she's oh, like no. okay and I'm like, i really don't want to be making these boys breakfast <laughs> it's not exactly the most appealing thing to do in a video game so that almost uh, sounds yeah. like like an anime like reverse harem version of like an ozu movie yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, That's, I'm hoping it gets better. Yeah. I'm still in like the common route, which is where they establish all the characters and then you kind of get shuffled into the different character specific routes. Mm-hmm. routes. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. Hopefully they're getting better. The guys are kind of slowly learning that they're jerks and being nicer and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I don't like these plots where it's like the woman's job to kind of transform the dude that should know better by now like uh-huh. a grown man jerk or a man baby and the, you know the girl kind of comes in and saves the day and he you know he's like oh i wouldn't be anything if it weren't for you you know <laughs> but i don't want to waste my time on a man child you know <laughs> it's, it's sort of that like mm, i don't know kind of like that that old um cliche fantasy of like oh he's a bad boy but i can fix him but like yeah, I don't know, like yeah. oh he's a bad man baby that's like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that's definitely not limited to Japanese media either. We've got lots of stories with that. Yeah. <laughs> like those, even romantic romantic comedy movies that like are meant to be cute. I don't know. I just watch them like, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't handle this. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about boys love as well. Um, cause I know that's something oh, that, sure. that you, uh, that you've written quite a bit about, um, academically and in your free time. Um, mm-hmm. so tell me a little bit about how, how you came into that and, um, and your experiences with boys love media, whether it be, um, games or, or other cult or other pop culture. Well, with Boys Love, I think I naturally stumbled into it because when I was really interested in Sailor Moon, I went on the internet and read a lot of fan fiction. Ah, and some okay. of the fan fiction had the boys with the boys. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but um, at the time, I think I think they were still referring to it as Slash. But slowly yeah. the term Yaoi started kind of being thrown around and Yaoi being another way to refer to boys love, which mm-hmm. is I think Yaoi generally in America anyway is what people use to refer to like comics with male male romantic and sometimes pornographic content. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I started, like, looking up Yaoi stuff and sort of progressed from there on the Internet. Mm. <laughs> and I got into – I think I really got into it through doujinshi, so fan comics, so mm. fan-produced um, narratives that were written mostly by, I think, Americans of Sailor Moon and then slowly – 
finding the Japanese stuff, like the, the doujinshi comics that people would scan and, you know, upload online. And, yeah. Uh, and sort of progressed into official comics. And I remember, even when I was in high school, I think they did translate some Boys Love stuff. I don't know if it was Tokyo Pop. They Tokyo might have Pop had a out... label called Blue or something. They put out quite a bit in, like, I remember, like, 2004 or 2005. I remember. Right. Yeah. I remember buying buying a stack uh, from Forbidden right. Planet when I came across them. <laughs> yeah. So that would have been right. Yeah. Junior, senior year of high school for me. So right about when I'm the age to officially be able to enjoy that stuff legally too, which was handy for me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, right around when I turned eighteen, you know, and then when I went off to college, I got more into it. Um, but there wasn't a lot in English, um, mm. so I started. It, buying it when I went to Japan. My first trip to Japan was actually when I was 14. I went for a month during summer. So yeah, I was able to go relatively frequently from a pretty early age. And I got a lot of like, that's probably how I got into only Otome games because I saw the magazines and there's a lot of that stuff was hard to find when I was middle school, high school, it it wasn't as easy to find these things for me on the internet anyway. Mm -hmm. I think I got a head start because I was able to go there so early and see everything on the shelf. And, you know, they had a boys love section in the store. Mm. It's like, you know, uh, shelves of books full of it. And yeah, just downhill from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a way to put it. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've got complicated feelings about um, boys love because um, mm-hmm. like I'm, it's something that's always interested me. Um, from you know from both from like a recreational standpoint and also um an academic standpoint um Mm -hmm. and i mean like it's it's complicated right um because it's quite fetishistic um Mm -hmm. because you know it it is primarily aimed at 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 straight women at least i mean I, i know that that's a bit different in in the west where it is more um it's got a bit more of a like a wider audience but um you know and initially in japan it's it serves as 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 you know as as titillation for for women that um you know would be you know whereas something like gengoro tagame would be um his work would be relegated to gay bookstores whereas right. uh yaoi is more um seen as a um acceptable fantasy you know like a passing a passing bit of titillation rather than something that would disrupt uh hegemonic um heteronormative society i suppose sure mm-hmm. maybe yes <laughs> i wouldn't know that i would say that gengoro tagamine and a lot of the people that are gay writing for a gay male audience are necessarily not a- in regular bookstores i mm-hmm. think you definitely will don't see as much of it yeah for sure mm-hmm. and it I don't want to presume, but in terms of a long-standing genre that's backed by major publishers, probably Boys Love has a longer history, and that's why you're mm. seeing more of it on shelves. Mm-hmm. I would, okay. yeah, I think it's changing. Um, but yeah, even Gengoro Tagamine has had you know works that are more mainstream, like his um, what is it, my, my brother's, brother's husband. husband. I know that's yeah. been a, yeah. a big hit. Um, yeah. Wide. 
which is like and then you have some crossover of um these gay male creators some of them doing boys love things yeah. that are published in the boys love area but yeah that's not as common for sure mm-hmm. and there's like oh, there's also like kind of an interesting um almost like cross-pollination i guess like you know when you say um gay creators doing boys love um i think about there was a visual novel that came out a few years ago um no thank you which was mm-hmm. um quite a bit uh it's kind of like a band apart from uh what you would traditionally see as like the boys love visual novels that are you know coming out in in japanese or in english it was really sort of um sort of like it was like a like bara um as mm-hmm. opposed to as opposed to something more wayfish you know yeah definitely yeah so i think mm-hmm. oh go ahead no no please go ahead <laughs> oh i was just gonna say i think that it's yeah it, boys of manga has a very long history that um starting from shonen i which really came out of shoujo manga which of course is for girls and very effeminate characters um but as you see the genre evolve you're getting a lot more diversity that maybe isn't quite represented as well in the english publications because unfortunately the sort of as with a lot of genres when you have lots of different things coming out there still is something that's more popular or more mainstream so a lot of Mm -hmm. the mainstream stuff still falls into a certain you know small section and then you have a lot of like no thank you might be classified as something like achimuchi which is like the muscly guys and there's a lot more boys of manga that are tending towards that but you probably don't see as much of that in English. Like I think Man of Men of Tango or Man of Tango came out in English a few years ago and that's something that's in that style drawn by a woman, but mm-hmm. definitely not what you would think of as like these really effeminate boys love guys that maybe come to mind first. So okay. yeah. Interesting. I, I haven't um, heard that one. That's a that's a fun name though. I'll have to remember that. Yeah, that yeah. Out. It's about tango too. Yeah, men dancing tango together. Oh and, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got time for yeah, that. Yeah, so there is a lot of interesting stuff. And I would say that, like, in terms of my own research and interests, I think I tend toward the more niche titles. Like, a lot of the stuff I like has never been translated into English. Uh-huh. So, uh, like, when I had somebody the other day ask me, like, what would you recommend as, like, the first boys love manga somebody should read and i was like oh my god i don't know everything i like is no i would not recommend that because it's very <laughs> weird you know I, I like centaur manga and i have okay. a whole paper about centaur boys love manga and uh there's one manga i bought very recently that is like guro so like uh grotesque like uh-huh. really horrifically grotesque weird stuff that yeah <laughs> it's just you know and that hasn't been translated of course so uh-huh. uh there's definitely a lot of stuff out there but <laughs> i think in terms of the mainstream things you can probably uh you know stereotype a little bit same with otome games you know it's, mm-hmm. a, it's like unfortunately because there's such niche areas still relatively you're only seeing certain things getting picked for localization that are going to sell well probably you know? mm. <laughs> Yeah, like one of my favorite authors, Stem, has only had a couple of titles, mm-hmm. maybe one or two published in English. Mm. And she's got quite a library of Japanese releases, but it's just, I guess, too, they don't think it will sell well. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm available to translate if anyone wants to hire me. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, please do. Yeah. Anybody listening who... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure we got Iran. lots of publishers listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, um, it's funny. Some of the, some of the first boys love stuff I got into. Um, there was, um, a friend of mine who I knew through live journal, um, who, who was an artist. Um, unfortunately I've lost, I've lost touch with her. Um, she was big into, um, nitro plus Chiral stuff and mm-hmm. was like posting, <laughs> posting some of these grotesque scenes from like Toga Inu and, um, and Sweet Pool, um, that, you know, like at the time I was like, you know, was really big into, um, body horror. Um, I guess I, I still am to a degree. And I was like, oh, wow, there's, there's a lot going on here. This is, um, some very high concept, um, quote unquote romance. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so those were like some of the first things that I got into. Um, and uh-huh. they're, they're horrifying and problematic, but I have a real soft spot for the, for those um and i think all that stuff has been like picked up for publication now yeah just this year yeah yeah um all of it the whole nitroposterol library actually they just announced that anime expo that um oh, just blue the uh-huh. the Im- it's like an imprint of just usa they do a lot of visual novel localizations mm. I actually did a bit of consulting on the sweet pool marketing so oh, yeah? if you follow their twitter account some of those tweets may have been inspired by some advice from me okay. <laughs> yeah because i guess i'm an expert on bl though i have not played through an entire nitro plus churl game yet i actually bought Sweet Pool was just released on Vita in Japan, so I bought the Vita port because That's up until... That's an interesting choice for that game. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's why I'm fascinated about it because it's so graphic in multiple ways, right? The original. I yeah. mean, I know of it because it's very infamous for its horror themes and all that. Mm. And so for that to be ported to Vita where you can't show pornography and you can't show a lot of really grotesque imagery because of the ratings that they have on that system i'm just fascinated to see how they're gonna do that so i had to pick that up to see yeah um but i haven't played it yet so yeah you'll and ha- I'll have to play the original so i can actually compare the two you know <laughs> yeah that that goes to some pretty grotesque places um yeah it's so i've heard <laughs> i'm I'm quite a fan of visual novels that have no happy endings. And, um, that that is one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Have you ever played, um, Sayono Uta? Yes, I have. Oh my God. (laughs) I, I loved that game actually. And that for me was a big step because I don't think I played any, um, heteronormative, pornographic uh-huh. game before and i have only relatively recently as i've gotten older gotten interested in horror and that sort of grotesque stuff and mm. so sayano uta really combines the two of those in a unsettling way but it was just really fascinating to me that that game <laughs> i think so i think that that may have marked for me a shift towards more appreciating of the horror elements and things like that I, mean, I, sure. I I love, you know, sort of existential, very gory kind of Cronenberg-esque horror. Um, and I think mm-hmm. Sayono Uta does that very nicely. Um, I also really like uh, Urobuchi Gen's um, work. Um, I think Psychopath yeah. was one of my favorite um, anime series of, of recent years. Um, there's definitely elements of Sayono Uta that I wish just like kind of weren't there. 
um but yeah, i, I yeah. guess are there to like you know tick the box for it being being an, an erotic visual novel but um yeah. it's it's setting and some of it's like monologues and you know like how how the game switches back and forth between your protagonist who is just like seeing everything as this gore soaked nightmare um and then like it'll swap over to his friends um having internal monologues about like what's happened to him you know we we really, right, love, yeah. we really love our friend and he's having a freak out um it's i really loved all that stuff that was awful yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and luckily that game was pretty short i think yeah i seem to remember i was able to get through it in like one or two days where a lot of visual novels are super long and i don't think i could play a game that was that miserable for 20 hours but yeah for like three or four hours it was really fascinating <laughs> mm. yeah mm. yeah it's it's yeah. pretty limited in scope and like i kind of have a little bit of a pardon me i have a little bit of a difficulty sitting in front of a visual novel for a long time anyway sure so like yeah me really like a handheld device will be my preferred platform um mm -hmm. of course like something like sayonota wouldn't be wouldn't be on um yeah. <laughs> wouldn't be on any platform other than pc but um yeah it needs to be something like quite short for it to be you know to keep me invested Otherwise, mm. it would have to have more kind of, you know, sim elements like like Tokimeki or right. um, something of that ilk. You know? Yeah, I definitely find I like visual novels on handhelds better. And I can only play them for a yeah, half hour to an hour max. Yeah. And then I'm like falling asleep just because it's reading. <laughs> Books put me to sleep, too. It's not, mm. you know, the games are boring necessarily. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're good for my morning commute, I find. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and um before we close up today i wanted to talk to you a little bit about um shake pixels um community game along and um, oh, yeah. a little bit about you know when that started and how 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 that's been for you it seems oh, like it's, it's yeah. gained a lot of traction over the past few years yeah i guess so <laughs> so the community game along is this monthly thing i've been doing for i think this is my fifth year running it um it started out as really a way for me to work on my backlog and have a themed okay so each month is themed around either a genre usually sometimes a series sometimes i've been doing composers every once in a while maybe a game director or something i that saw you can... did uh, manami matsumai uh, earlier this yeah. year yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been trying to work more different types of people in. And um, the idea was to highlight lesser known things, genres. And it started as the very first one was for Falcom, actually, because Ooh, I was cool. talking with a friend on Twitter and like, oh, Falcom's really underappreciated. I think I had just played Ease for the first time. And I was like, this is amazing. you know. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about Falcom with everybody. But um, even though I think they, Falcom has also been getting more traction in the West recently with like Ease 8 coming out and mm -hmm. that had a bit of a translation debacle, but boy, did uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> was it, um, uh, trails in the sky mm -hmm. and then what, I can't remember all these names, cold steel or something that other RPG series mm -hmm. they do. Actually put um, out, so um, the Zvi games recently. They put out, um, it's yeah. two and one in that order in like October and January. And that was a really nice surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of their stuff, like historically, they've been around since, um, I think 87 or even earlier than that. 
You're yeah. earlier than 87, I think right? like 80, 80, 82 maybe, and then like East started in 87. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So they're like one of these long-running Japanese RPG companies, and, you know, Final Fantasy is a big one, Dragon Quest is pretty big too, but in terms of Western recognition, I think Falcom is much lower, and mm. it's still very, very good games. As I said, I only recently, I think, you know, about five or six years ago, played the first East for the first time, and generally I have a hard time going back to retro games because I don't have that frame of reference mm-hmm. the snes i don't have the nostalgia in the same way so it's a bit difficult to go back to some of the clunkier games even though they do have aspects that are still great yeah but when i played yeast it felt like you know i was picking up a game that could have been made yesterday almost like it just felt really sharp and snappy and it was a pretty short game and it was just really fun i loved it so yeah i wanted to rave about yeast and so my friend and i were chatting about it and i thought you know why don't we do like a month where everybody plays Falcom games. And so I did this thing and I said, okay, January is going to be Falcom month. And <laughs> that was just the theme of the month. And I encouraged everybody to play any game by Falcom. And you could, you know, I said, you know, write a blog post about it, share, share it. So it could be like a communal thing where I get people talking about something and they might pick up a game in a genre or by a company that they hadn't played before. Uh, so it was Falcom. I really wanted to get people playing Falcom games that may mm. have not played it. And that was pretty, you know, successful. People were really into it. And I can't remember if it was because of the feedback or if I was just like, this is a great idea. I'm going to keep doing this. But either way, I decided that I would do like another one and another one. And then I ended up doing a whole year of them. Mm. And at the end of the year, it was like, should I do this for another year? And everybody was like, yeah, I'll do it again. Like, oh, okay, okay, I'll do it again. So then in like December, I said, I'm going to sit down and write down 12 themes and just plan it out so we know ahead of time every month what the theme will be. That way like people can kind of plan their schedule. Like If they're like, oh, I have this game on my backlog I've always wanted to play, and oh, you know, February's dating sim month for Valentine's Day. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That was on purpose. Mm-hmm. So I'll play this, you know. Told me a game that I've never played in February, and so that was the idea behind it. And yeah, it's been pretty popular. Uh, the JRPG Julys are always very, very popular. I think mm-hmm. that's the one that I get the most traction on. Um, a couple of big websites started writing about it, mm. and I mean, I'm sure I'm not the first person to come up with JRPG July as an idea, but it seemed like <laughs> perfect, you know, at the time and. Uh, it, especially because july is usually a slow release month e3 yeah. has just happened and people are like oh there aren't any games coming out like it's getting worse and worse like it used to be that you would have these low periods where not many games are coming out and now it seems like all year there's a bunch of stuff coming out so you don't really get that it's downtime too, it's so much, much but yeah <laughs> yeah but that was the idea so i would put something more time intensive like a jrpg in mm-hmm. july and also in us like kids are off school so maybe there's more free time but yeah uh yeah so every month i do a different theme uh still going strong with that and i like that it creates a sense of community it gets people talking and one of the main goals for me with chick pixel is i want to talk about what i like but i want to show other people that maybe like things that are a bit niche that there are other people that like that stuff and I want to sort of foster a community where people can talk about it either in the comments of my site or through 
community game long hashtags or I also have a discord server now where people chat about these things. So oh, cool. yeah, I think mm-hmm. they have really been helpful to sort of bringing that community together. Hmm. It's, it's always very, very fun to follow the, um, follow the hashtag <laughs> on Twitter. And I've, I've taken part, uh, I've taken part a couple of times. Um, yeah. I, um, I think like the, the, the biggest, the biggest thing I took part in was when I, challenged myself to write about a different horror game all through last october um <laughs> each day and i only got halfway through the month but um oh no i remember was... though jose i really loved that series you were doing because you highlighted a lot of games that i never heard of and oh, thank you. you you wrote about them in a very kind of like quick like it wasn't a huge review but it was very quick to the point like why is this interesting and it got me interested in a lot of those titles so i thought it was really great oh cool uh i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> glad to hear that that's you know that's much like yourself i like to um highlight things that i think are um weird and unnoticed that i you know want more people to know about so yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun to follow that. It's, I, I hadn't realized that it came out of, um, out of Falcom initially. Yep. Um, I, I too <laughs> yep. have a, have a pretty special relationship with Falcom. Um, uh, Ease One was like the first action RPG I ever played, um, back oh, on the okay. Sega Master System. Um, wow. and Falcom, being a Falcom fan in the nineties in America, that wasn't a thing that you could be. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, yeah. It Cause like... a lot of their games weren't released until way later, right? Oh yeah. I think like it was ease three in 92 and then like, we didn't see another one of their games in English until ease six in 2005. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. It was, it was tough to be, uh, tough to be a Falcom fan. And mostly I just like <laughs> replay the same games or just, um, you know, import something and not know how to play it or just, um, you know, <laughs> look at websites that were devoted to their back catalog and, and, you know, drool over screenshots of weird things. But <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're, they're weird and they're weird and good. I like them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy them. I would like to play more. I think I've played a couple. So mm. East one and two and seven. Mm. I think that's it. I was I meant to play eight, but I kind of mm. bounced off it real quick because of that translation issue they had, and I never went back to it. So um, I know it, they up- updated it, but yeah, I noticed. Yeah, like I I um I'd stopped playing in like maybe November last year when I reached the big hole, uh, and I I loaded <laughs> up my. I loaded up my save game maybe last month, and I saw that the big hole was now the chasm, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, oh, so this good. is that... this has had its yeah. its update. Um, yeah yeah um i'm like i ease eight it's it's fun it's definitely fun but my issue with it is that it's super long and wordy um Mm. and although i like games that are long and wordy i think one of the strengths of ease is that it's um storytelling is it's like it's for it's they're forging a creative world but it's also very slight and quick and i you know mm-hmm. as somebody who is having you know who's now in their 30s and has less and less time to devote to games <laughs> i like yeah. i like being able to play through a whole story within like 10 hours and whereas yeah. um e is more like a 50 hour game and that's like whoa oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. um and i think that that world doesn't really lend itself so nicely to that length um mm. i still think it's very good and very fun but um those earlier games um especially like ease one being like a five or six hour game that's so cool yeah <laughs> so much yeah fun. that was so, yeah i felt like you know really happy that i was able to play it and beat it and 
to yeah. you know enjoy it in a weekend that, that's a nice feeling <laughs> especially as you get older and have less time and yeah i used to play a lot of jrpgs and now i just oh yeah when i was younger bring I myself to start any yeah <laughs> wanted, wanted something that would last me all summer and now it's like oh boy if this is gonna last me longer than the weekend i don't know <laughs> you know yeah yeah i'll be uh, playing this for a year you know i'm still working through breath of the wild and mm. that's <laughs> indefinitely playing that one <laughs> yeah. I, I i still haven't beaten that either um i'm playing falcon's trails of cold steel 2 at the moment um okay, i yep, yep. i've been promised that i'm at the end game i started that game when it came out almost two years ago so <laughs> yeah wow. it's it's and that's it's a long. series too right where the games kind of have a st- narrative that really you have to play over all the releases right yeah and a few of them a few of them aren't out in english yet and it's um questionable whether they will come out because they were ps oh, games. No. So there's like yeah. some, some middle okay. chapters, um, the the Crossbell duology. Um, who knows if they'll ever come out? It seems unlikely, oh, but um, that's yeah. But there there's definitely a through line there. But those games get longer and longer with every release, and it's like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Anne, I have kept you for quite a while. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we we close out today? Oh, no, I think we covered a lot. We didn't really talk about my translation, but that's okay. I don't have anything out yet that, oh, I just had a game release called Painter for iOS and Android. I think it's maybe only in the U.S. Cat Painter? Cat Painter. It's uh, like a drawing game. A little drawing game where you are a cat and you want to become a famous painter. And so... (gasps) It will give you different props, prompts, like words. Um, they call them themes in the game. So it'll be like, draw a ladybug, and you got to draw a ladybug. And then it will be sent out into the ether, and that's, it will send, sent to other users who will um, have to decipher what it is. So they'll just see the picture, and then they have to pick from like a little word letter bank like what uh-huh. it is so then they write in ladybug and then they r- rate you like a like or a dislike and that sort of thing and so like yeah you just play through the game social pictionary with a cat yeah 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 that's, that that's a good way of putting it yeah <laughs> it's really cute and i did all of the like um game dialogue i didn't so it was really a team where people did different things as often i work on these small games where i do the whole thing myself uh-huh. <laughs> and it's very daunting but i did like the editing of the game dialogue so i kind of gave it the character in the limited story that it has there's a character called sebastian and then he's your like helper cat and he'll tell you how to play the game so i did all of his dialogue and <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was fun doing working on that um so it's nice to have a game out there that has my name in the credits so yeah. far i haven't really released a lot of stuff that i can publicly say i've worked on because a lot of translating when you work for like uh contractors they will often outsource and they don't necessarily always credit you and you may not be allowed to talk about it if you aren't credited officially in it yeah. so a lot of my when I was first starting out a couple of years ago was on things like that, that I'll never be able to talk about. And in fact, I have no idea what happened to them. They could be anywhere. <laughs> oh, that's, so, that's too bad. Uh, but I hear that's pretty I'm common. Starting, yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it's a good way to get started, but it's mm. nice to be able to plug some of the things you've done, you know? <laughs> so, mm, yeah, most definitely. Check it out. <laughs> 
It doesn't seem to be on the Android store here. Is that iOS exclusive at the moment? Uh, so I think it's only in the North American or American mm. U.S. store for Android and iOS right mm-hmm. now. And they're going to be releasing it to more territories. Okay. So cool. like, like uh, Hataraku UFO. That, yeah. That yeah, had a bit yeah. of a delay coming out here. But yeah. I managed to get my hands on that earlier this year. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I think it should be coming out in other countries soon, but right now maybe mm-hmm. just U.S. Unfortunately, yeah. I've got, yeah, the U.S. store on my, on my phone here in Australia, weirdly, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Have you got anything on the horizon that you can plug or nothing that you can really talk about yet? No, everything else I can't talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really excited because I got my first manga series, which I cannot talk about until... Oh. I think I finished the first volume, which hopefully will be in a few weeks and okay. then I can yeah. share because it is an announced title. It has been like people know that it's coming, but nobody knows that I'm working on it. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of fun, but also, Funny yeah, how those agreements work. Yeah. This, yeah, you've got this exciting thing you're doing and you want to tell everybody and it's like, oh, I can't tell anybody yet. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's that's a bummer. I, I hear I hear similar stories from some of my translator friends who've, who've oh, been yeah. working on yeah. things here, um, and you know would love to share, and they've been announced, but nope, can't can't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's very common. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, well, and thanks so much for joining me today. Um, it's been really lovely to have you. Um, I'd you know love to love to record something with you again sometime in the future. Oh yeah, definitely. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, and I hope that you'll bring back um, Check Pixel Plus. Um, that's a very, very fun podcast that I enjoyed quite oh, a bit. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very, very um, you and, and was it, Sarah's your co-host. Is that right? Have I got yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you... Sarah O'Donnell. She has, she's pretty busy these days, so mm-hmm. we both agreed that we might just put it on hiatus. But, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I can work out something maybe not with her but maybe Mm -hmm. solo i don't know (laughs) as i'm sure you know it's very difficult um finagling guests i Mm -hmm. used to do like a guest-based show where i would invite new people on every Mm -hmm. episode that Uh, got a bit tough for me (laughs) to keep up with so yeah yeah. (laughs) i'm I'm a big fan of the of any time elliot gay has been on to talk about kusoge oh yeah oh that was so much fun (laughs) he's he's a treat (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) uh but, uh, Anne, where can people find you on the web? Okay, well, uh, as we mentioned, my blog is ChickPixel. That's C-H-I-C-Pixel, P-I-X-E-L dot com. On Twitter, I'm at Apricot Sushi. And I'm also Apricot Sushi everywhere else on Instagram, Facebook, etc. Yeah, so the main one is the blog, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, well, folks, you know where to find me. I'm on Twitter at MisanthropBob. This podcast is on Twitter at YouAreMyPod. And we're on the web at MisanthropPop.com. Um, that's about it. I never know how to close these episodes. <laughs> you can always record it later, right? I used yeah. to do that all the time. <laughs> I suppose I can. I probably won't. So this will probably just okay. sound weird and well, awkward. Well, this will stay in there. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, now you know my secret, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. We can we can bleep that out if you want. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.